Welcome, Platypus and Platypi. It is Tuesday, the 2nd of February. Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day! I haven't checked to see if the groundhog saw his shadow back in Punxsutawney. I'll have to check that real quick while the show's going on. But, uh, anywho, happen to, uh, welcome to your favorite February 2nd of all time, because you're listening. You know, it's also the day for me to water my plants, so that's exciting. It's fun to look at the calendar and see what's going on. So um, as we were leaving the radio show today, I was talking about the fact that iPhone, in its next update of the OS, so iOS 14.5, will allow you to open up your iPhone while you have a mask on as long as you're wearing a watch. So if you're wearing a the not a watch an Apple Watch specifically, so um, for those of you who've who've wanted to do this, this has been available for a while now. You can use um, the Apple Watch to unlock your Mac. So once you bring on your put on your watch and you verify it's you by putting in a PIN code or by unlocking with Face ID or Touch ID the associated iPhone that's attached to, that the watch is synced with. Um, then you verify that it's you. And as long as you don't take the watch off, you can use that watch for um, for Apple Pay. Uh, and, you you know, it's it's a verified, I, identified you type of device. We know that you have it. You've ver- verified it's you. And as long as it's attached to you and, and doesn't leave you, because it's, you know, it can track your heartbeat and it knows it's attached to you, then it's, uh, it's a, a pretty good way to verify that it's you. So what they're doing is they're tape, taking the uh, face ID and saying, well, we need X amount of points right now on a face in order to verify that it's you and unlock your phone. But we can use fewer points, i.e. your eyes, distance between eyes and eyebrows, distance between pupils, things like that, things that are above a face mask. So we can get a pretty good idea it's you, but it's not as secure as if we saw your whole face. But if we add to that that you have your attached Apple Watch on and it's you, we will take that less secure identification of your face and assume that it's all good because you also have a watch on and you're uh, in proximity to the phone. So what you'll be able to do is in your grocery store, if you've got a uh, you know your shopping list on your phone, you don't have to keep typing in your PIN code to get to your shopping list. You'll be able to just look at your phone and unlock it with the mask on. Now, they say that this won't work for things like um, Apple Pay because Apple Pay, they want to really be sure it's you before somebody can access your money. And so to use Apple Pay, you'll have to um, you know put in your PIN code or momentarily take off your mask so that your phone can see your whole face and verify that it's you before it'll approve a payment. Um, but, uh, you know, you do that once when you're checking out of the store, whereas inside the store you check your grocery list multiple times. So this will certainly make that experience better. Now, for those of you, I started to say, for those of you who haven't tried it, you can use your watch to unlock your Mac right now. If you go to... Um, uh, the Apple icon in the top left corner to system preferences and then select security and privacy. The very first window that you're presented with is the general window. It'll You can see general, file vault, firewall, and privacy. But under general, about four checkboxes from the top uh, is use your Apple Watch to unlock apps and your Mac. And all you have to do is check that box. And if you have a recent... Uh, Mac, and I say recent, anything in the last, 
I think six years, 2014 and on, on and on on most models of of Macs uh, and laptops. Um, might be 2015, but it's in that ballpark right in there. Then uh, once you've set that up, after your your Mac reboots, you'll have to log into it one time. But every time then, after it locks itself, it'll unlock itself simply by you waking it up. And you'll feel your watch get a little tap-tap, and it'll then say, unlocked by your Apple Watch, and it'll unlock itself. And that's a really pleasant experience, and it generally works pretty well. And it's been something that's been available on in on Mac OS for quite some time. So Apple has some experience here. Oh, here's Aaron. Hello. Hey. Ah, there you are. Kind of popped in. Yeah. I got A. <laughs> so um, I was just sharing with people the idea of, you know, unlocking your, your phone with your Apple Watch on is not that far distance from using your phone to unlock your Mac. Have you ever done that? Do you have that set up on your on your Mac? No. Oh, that's you don't no, use an I... Apple Watch, do you? No, no. Yeah, so it wouldn't matter. So if you have an Apple Watch and it is on your wrist and you have unlocked, you know, and, and, and you're logged into it, meaning that you verified it's you by putting in your PIN code or opening up your uh, associated iPhone while the watch is attached to you, uh, you can use your watch then for things like Apple Pay and things like that. Um, and, uh, and if you don't, uh, once, once your watch is verified, then you can go to System Preferences and under system preferences, go to uh, security and privacy. And there's just a checkbox that says, use your Apple Watch to unlock your Mac. And that way, anytime you wake your Mac up from sleep, it goes tap, tap on your wrist and says, unlocked by your Apple Watch. And so you don't have to put in a PIN code or a password or anything. It just unlocks because it knows it's you. Oh, that's yeah. cool. So if you, yeah, if you're an Apple Watch user, it's actually really handy. And it allows you to be a little bit more secure. You can set the, you know lock my device at a shorter time you don't have to leave it unlocked and if you work in an open environment in an office remember what those were offices um uh way back when when people used to go to this place and they called it an office and they would sit down and they would work there like all day long but they would get up and go to the bathroom and occasionally take a lunch break and when you stepped away from your computer you would maybe want your computer to lock so that people wouldn't see information on your computer and, and play games and send emails as if they were you so, um, anyhow, the Apple Watch Unlock thing's kind of cool. I like it. So, um, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I don't have an Apple Watch. I ended up with a, a higher-end, like the Fitbit Versa, and mm -hmm. um, it does everything that I want it to do. I don't want to be, I don't want my wrist buzzing all day long, although you can you can set up the Fitbit so it does it. Like, it, it buzzes for all of your notifications, and ugh, I don't mm -hmm. want that. Yeah, and you can turn that on and off on an Apple Watch as well. I think all of them are pretty customizable. But uh, you know, it's sort of like, especially if you're like, if you have, I know you've taken it off. You've joined the crowd. You've taken Facebook off your phone. But um, you know, that would be like all day long. Can you imagine? Buzz, look at your no. your phone and go, grr. Man, I don't want the whole world having control over my emotional ups and downs. Yes, I actually <laughs> put Facebook back on yesterday. <gasps> Aaron. You know, because it's it's it was easier for me to share articles, but I tell you, mm -hmm. the 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 desire to check it constantly, that is that is gone. I broke that by having it on yeah. for a week, and so I just I don't check it all the time like I used to. So 
we'll, you know, we'll see if that see comes if back works. if they slowly yeah. suck you in because they're designed to do that. The software plays on your on your baser instincts to want to continually feedback loop. Ugh, Facebook. Yeah, what it was is I I was reading I was laying in bed reading articles as I do um, in the morning. And, uh, and I, there are a few things that I wanted to share and I, and I couldn't share them. It's not easily. And so it's like, Oh, forget mm-hmm. it. I'll just put it back on. And then I'm just going to monitor my own behavior with it. Yeah. You know? We'll see how that uh, goes. They've sucked Facebook you back has, in. Facebook has been quieter <laughs> since the election, a lot quieter, yeah. you know, so they're trying to behave people... right now because people are starting to crack down on them. And <laughs> so they're trying to be, say, see, we're not so bad. Well, just no, no. just that pe- fewer people are on it. Like I'm right. seeing far fewer people, um, and I'm you know whether they've gotten rid of their profiles, I don't I, I don't think they've done that. But they're just not as active on Facebook. Um, yeah. So, and I think that's good because that that perpetual yeah. shouting that was happening during the election that couldn't continue. Yeah. Well, it's January. People are you know working those New Year's resolutions. We'll see how things turn up in March. <laughs> yeah, it's February, Todd. Yeah, that's why I'm saying. Well, it's it's it. We've had January behind us. Is all I was trying to say. I didn't yep. fr- phrase that properly. We're only one month into the new year. I guess is what I'm saying. And so, uh, yeah. So, anyhow, um, we shall see. You'll have to keep us up updated as to uh, your Facebook trials and travails. It is so beautiful today. I'm looking at a wonderful blue sky with wispy yeah. clouds. It's 56 degrees at 7.10 in the morning. It's gorgeous today. Yeah. Well, apparently it was gorgeous at uh, on Gobbler's Knob in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania today, too. Ooh, we mentioned that it shadow? is... We, we mentioned it's Groundhog Day. Puxatawney Phil saw his shadow, and that means six additional weeks of winter. He's, he saw his shadow and crawled back in his hole. Or, actually, they picked up the poor groundhog and held him up in the air and read a he's proclamation a, and he's a big fat thing too he's, yes he's well he is <laughs> he he's a well-fed and i think he's like the 23rd puxatawney phil oh, i mean they, sure. you know, I don't know how groundhogs don't groundhogs live. yeah i'm not sure they're that long lived i mean that said um you know i think today just in honor of the day i'm going to watch groundhog day because it's a fun movie i enjoy that movie immensely Yes. And uh, if you want to see what the whole rigmarole looks like, watch that movie. You'll see it multiple times. Yes, you will. <laughs> <laughs> multiple times in multiple different ways. Um, but, uh, yeah, though they show a picture of the guy wearing his, you know, silk top hat, holding the big rat and uh, and going, <laughs> yeah, he saw his shadow. Yay. You know, Harold Ramis so. was a genius. He really he was. was. Yeah. That, that movie is a classic. It is. It yeah. is. He uh, he was the genius behind a lot of really really good uh, comedy in the in the you know late seventies and eighties. I mean, he was behind Animal House. Um, he was a uh, or a writer on Animal House, writer on Caddyshack and Stripes. Uh, he was the director of the first Vacation movie. Uh, he was a writer on Ghostbusters, uh, you know. Uh, uh, you know, unfortunately, Caddyshack two and Ghostbusters two as well. Uh, you know, well, we Groundhog Day. He was. 
Yeah, right. He was the writer, <laughs> director, and producer of Groundhog Day. Uh, you know, if you've never seen the movie Bedazzled, it is it is uh, you know it's a different movie. crowd of actors, but just really well done. Brendan Fraser and Elizabeth Hurley are it's so much fun, and he had a, such a sensibility for just you know what was funny, and and he yeah. was sort of he predated all of those sort of adult comedies where everybody gets naked and drunk and 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 curses a lot. Um, but he, but it was that sort of adult comedy, situational comedy that he did that was just very funny. But very there was funny. a message. I think you know, both in Groundhog Day and Bedazzled, there's a pretty significant message about about humanity in both of those movies. Mm-hmm. You know um, that it, that were you know, and I couldn't, I can't say the same for Animal House. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah, Animal the House. good movie. That was his first movie that he, that he he was this he was a writer on it and uh, and uh, you know he wasn't the director or the producer so he was a writer and you know you sell you you're trying to sell so you you trying to figure out what would be funny and what would people pay me to actually do this for a living oh, you know and it was hysterical I mean let's it not, really let's was make no mistake. it was a, one of the funniest movies ever made yeah yeah but I mean his directorial debut was Caddyshack I mean another classic <laughs> classic comedy. Uh, with uh, you know, he was a writer on Saturday Night Live, so I mean, he knew a lot of that that first generation of Saturday Night Live people, and so a lot of the early movies involved them because those were his friends, and uh, it was just really, really funny, really funny. Good stuff. Groundhog Day. So everybody needs to go out and watch it. Yeah. So many yeah, funny scenes in that to, movie. Um, I got you, babe, without thinking of that movie. <laughs> Every morning. <laughs> Every yeah. morning. That was funny. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know he was the director on The Office from 2006 to 2010? Oh, really? Harold Ramis? That's why yep. it was so good. Yep. Dunder Mifflin. Yeah. Now, I did not realize that he was associated with that. I guess uh, during that time period, he... he okay, I'm, I'm reading it here. You read the details. He directed four different episodes, so he was a oh, director. Okay. That's typical of television. They have directors come in and out for different episodes. Um, so, yeah, there's not, like, usually a single person directing. Usually that's... They have a person called the showrunner who sort of is in charge of everything, but then they have different directors from episode to episode, and a lot of times that's how um, act, uh, directors get their start, you know? Or they'll bring in, you know, like actors who want to get into directing and they'll get to direct an episode or they'll have like in this case, you know, a fairly famous director come in and direct an episode or two just because, hey, I've got an idea. Let me go do this and I can, you know, work this out or, you know, I've got some time. Let's do this. And so they go, yeah, sure, we'll we'll take it. And we're happy to have a award winning director come in and do an episode or two that's actually how they're doing the mandalorian too there's you can there's a uh, show you can watch on disney that talks about the directors that they kind of collected and each of their backgrounds and how they each bring something a little different to the storytelling in the mandalorian which is kind of cool it's very good storytelling it really is it is yeah but it's sort of you know one person sort of sets the tone and then everybody else directs in that world and has a different feel and it's funny because you can almost once you know who some of the different directors are when you watch the episodes you you can you kind of just get a sense that okay yeah this this story is being told a little differently and you kind of get a feel for who's directing with and and then you'll see at the end it's like oh yeah yeah i figured this was one of theirs you know which is cool yeah no i 
I think that, you know, and, and this is, you know, from experience watching a lot of movies that we've done reviews on the show, on the radio show and other places, um, that the um, that I personally, although I like certain actors a lot, um, I'm more likely to go to movies based on who the director is or want to go to movies, I should say. You know, when I'm reviewing movies, when I was in that mode, I went to movies that I didn't think I was going to like, but I went in with an open mind to watch them anyway just because... You know, like I'm not a huge horror fan, but I went and saw both epi- both versions or both halves of it. You know, Stephen King's uh, horror story about the clown and the you know, and, and it's not typically my kind of movie, but they were both really well done. They were very good. Um, but you know, there are certain actors I like. Ron Howard, he's a great storyteller, and just about anything Ron Howard's doing, I will watch. You know. Yep, I agree. Although he got hammered for Hillbilly Elegy, but I think that's because the critics didn't like the subject matter more than the, his job in directing, because I think he did an outstanding job directing. Yeah. yeah, he also was brought in sort of as a let's fix this problem movie director for um, the uh, uh, Star Wars Solo movie about the early days of Han Solo, and that got panned as well, and I thought it was actually pretty good storytelling. Again, I think you know, a good director can make a good story better, can make a bad story tolerable, um, you know, um, is what it is. Rob Reiner's another one, though. Um, I like what he does. I like his product, you know, and that doesn't mean, you know, anything about the person or their politics or anything. I, I'm not making any comments on that. I'm just saying that their their end product is generally pretty good, you know? Yes. Yeah, I like and, Rob Reiner's. Uh, films as well yeah and he just he's you know the guy has talent and there's no denying that he he makes good movies um you know i mean i loved your early movie for rob reiner stand by me was awesome you know um and now i think that was his third movie as a director you know and then he followed that with princess bride and harry met sally and misery and talk about different movies i mean misery and princess bride are about as far apart as you can possibly get Misery also being based on a Stephen King novel. Um, uh, you know, that's well, kind of where we first met Kathy Bates uh, and learned what hobbling was. Well, <laughs> and Princess Bride is arguably one of the best movies ever made. Like, yeah. it, is, it is perfect. You can't, yeah. there's nothing to improve upon. As a matter of fact, hold on, I walked into my house and my lovely husband is, is working in the kitchen. So, Well, say hi to your hubbly lovesman. Hi, Hubbley Lovesman. Hey so, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I agree. Princess Bride is is just there's no scenes you don't need. There's no scenes that you need to add. It's perfect. No, it yeah. is perfect. And I mentioned That's Stand By Me as being one of his great movies too. Stand By Me is also a Stephen King movie, based on a Stephen King book. Oh, yeah, so about he likes four Stephen young boys King, going evidently. to discover a dead body. Um, well, you know what? I think he just found that he had a touch for it, you know, and, and he, he knew the right things to focus on. Like Stand By Me was a story about the relationships of the four boys. It wasn't a, a story about them, you know, going to see the dead body as much as it was they were out together talking. And that's what most of the movie was. It was a focus on their relationship and not so much a focus on on the horror aspects, even though the idea of finding a dead body out in the woods, you know, the idea that four... 12 year olds or you know tweens could go hiking all day to go find a body that they'd heard was out in the woods that like 
the authorities hadn't already gotten to. I mean, by the time the 12 years olds have heard about it, the fact that it's still there, it seems very unlikely, but, but that's okay. You know, I mean, look at the stuff he's done. I didn't realize some of this stuff. Or I'd forgotten some of this stuff. He did a few good men. He was the director and producer on a few good men. You know, Seriously? Ghosts of Mississippi. Yeah. Yeah. He directed Rumor Has It, which is actually kind of a lighthearted movie that's very funny. The Bucket List, which is another funny movie. He did that. He was the director and producer of that. Um oh. So yeah. uh, T- Tobin and I this weekend watched a very a classic classic movie that came out in 1983 that we had not um, that we had n- neither of us had seen but it was so good um, uh, Places in the Heart with Sally Field. Oh, that's a good movie. It was such a good movie. Yeah, you know we're just poking around and I was looking for something good and um, yeah. Places- she you know has had. A heck of a career, hasn't she? She really has. For, some, for somebody who started out as Gidget, um, you know, very kind of shallow, ha-ha comedy on television, the um, the depth and breadth of the, the roles that she's had over the years, you know, Norma Ray, Smokey and the Bandit, Forrest Gump, um you know, places in the heart, as you said. I mean, she's just done so many things. Um, it's just, it's, it's almost mind-numbing the career that she's had. You so, know? yeah, she's I really. Mean, in subsequent movies, she's pay, played Tom Hanks' love interest and his mom. <laughs> There's range. <laughs> oh, that's so true. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that is so true. So, um, yeah. Steel Magnolias. Oh, I love Steel Magnolias. Yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire. She was the wife in that. Obviously, Forrest Gump was good. So, yeah. She was, uh, was, I shouldn't say, she's still with us. So she is quite, quite an accomplished actress. Yeah. You know, I say was. Um, did you are you know that Hal Holbrook passed away? And, uh, uh, he, yeah. You may or may not recognize the name or what he did, but he was 95. And he was very famous towards the, the later years of his life for doing a one-man show portraying Mark Twain. And, in fact, I think PBS recorded a performance of that and made that uh, available. So you can watch that. It was a stage thing that he did of uh, Mark Twain telling stories about his life and, and how he wrote the stories and things like that. It was all taken from from uh, anecdotes that Twain himself wrote or that other people wrote about him, family members and stuff. So, uh, Oh, well, I want to uh, find that because that sounds very interesting. Yeah, it's, it was sort of his... Uh, I mean, he, he's one of those guys that had a long career and did lots and lots of stuff. Uh, but... Uh, uh, that was sort of a big thing for him towards the, well, I want to say the, towards the end of his life. He did it for quite a while, over well over a decade. He did like 2,200 performances. Um, and oh, my gosh. On, yeah, uh, he did it around the, around the country, but on Broadway, famously. Um, but uh, he played Deep Throat in All the President's Men. He was the, he was the leak. So, um, yeah. So I'm being headbutted by a hungry cat. Yeah, that happens to you in the morning, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It's funny how how um, 
passively aggressive pets can be when it's like it's it's you know i've decided it's time for you to do something for me and uh you know i get these little nose bumps and and if those don't get my attention then i get a paw on me from one of my dogs it's like hey hey Get little nudges with their nose, like, hey. It's like, look, dude. I'm dependent on you, and I'm hungry, so get up and feed dude. me. Yeah, well, sometimes it's hungry. Sometimes it's just, hey, I want you to scratch my ears. You know, I, I, I climbed all the way up here to lay with you, and now I want you to actively pay attention to me. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Pat, pat, so, pat. <laughs> so Mike Magazine, which I am finding more and more interesting. Like, I'm, I'm kind of drawn to their articles because they talk about things that are um, that are interesting and that other people are not talking about. And they have an article by Tracy and Duncan today that's asked, can pets sense our anxiety? I actually think they can. Um, uh, so this, the author yeah. writes, I've been socially distancing since March 13th. So it's safe to say that I'm a little higher strung than usual. My cats and dogs are the only other mammals I've touched in two weeks. They seem to like, all the attention when I want to snuggle, but they look a bit wary of the times I, I, I say, I'm say compulsively cleaning the house or crying on the kitchen floor. Can my fur family sense my anxiety? And she asked, um, this of course is the quote from the quotes. What I just said is not for me. It's from the author. She said, she mm -hmm. asked vets to explain how our, how our anxiety affects our pets. And that yeah. was quote, I think most companion animal owners have a sense that their pets are aware of negative emotional states and that they react to those states. Um, I'd go further. I think they're aware of positive emotional states too. They're aware of. They're very tuned yes. to you to to everybody in their pack. But understanding precisely what emotional states pets can sense in their humans is a challenge to to challenging topic to study because pets don't speak our language. But I think mm -hmm. you just look at their body language and you can know that they understand. Mm -hmm. And I got to be honest, my cats. This one, I he understands because I'll be talking to him and he reacts, you know, mm -hmm. when I talk to him. Like, he reacts like he understands. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I don't so... have cats right now, but I've had cats and I've got dogs right now. Well, not this instant. They're in the house. But, um, but uh, yeah, it's it, anybody who's been spent time with a pet, it's real obvious, you know, like when you're out of sorts, they're usually they're, they're very um, uh, aware of their when their people aren't where how feeling how they should be or how they normally are and so they're you know right there to like comfort you or to you know um, um, you know they they also know when you're angry and they know like oh time to leave them alone and they head for the corners of the house you know they <laughs> do like, they do they, they they pick up on your emotional states real real quickly and they are far uh, and, more empathic than we are. Yeah, I mean, that's basically how they communicate, you know? I mean, you just watch them interact with each other, you know? And and it's amazing what a look or a little bit of, like you said, body language or just, you know, they, you, you know, cats get very expressive with their ears and their tails, and you can just watch how they're moving their tail to, to kind of get a sense of, you know, where they're at with the world. Um, dogs, it tends to be more in the, the eyes and the eyebrows uh, and their heads. They tend to, like, you know, look at things i mean i've literally had the dog like you know say you know i want to go out or I, i'm hungry and they'll look at you and then they'll look where they want to go or what they want you know they'll look like where their food is or where the back door is or something or they'll you know and they'll look at you and look and and if you're not and paying like, attention hey, they'll stupid. they'll nudge you or tap out. you and say look at me you know i'm i'm i i'm here i want to go over there 
You know, you know, I'm here. I want to go. And they'll do it a couple of times and go like, you know, come on, pick up on this dummy. You know, I'm being as, I'm shouting at you as loud as I can without a voice. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. So did you hear that Evan Rachel Wood has alleged that her time with in Marilyn Manson, that he brainwashed and horrifically abused her for years? Yeah, but but she kind of talked. She's been talking about it. Finally, named him, and right. I honestly think right. that things that he said, he's proud of it. He's, I was he's say, proud of it that it, he had control over her. It it's it's Marilyn Manson. I mean, this is all about the image that he. I mean, it shouldn't be a surprise. This is the image he portrays. You know, <laughs> I mean, like all right, um, but you know, he he. Uh, there was a, um, I think it was a Dita Von Tees or something like that. There's a, a she's a. Um, uh, burlesque dancer who was his wife prior to his meeting Evan Rachel Wood, and yes. uh, you know, and she has said several things of, uh, of similar ilk that he was, you know, abusive and and she was with him for I don't know five or six years something like that, and uh, and went yeah he uh, he's very controlling, and it's like yeah it wasn't for me so I got out, so yeah, yeah. I honestly you know I I. I think demon possession is real, and my guess is that he is possessed um, because he invites that. And so it doesn't surprise me if he invites that, that it would have happened. Um, yeah. He is a very dark person. I wouldn't have anything to do with him. if you listen to some of his music, his music's actually pretty good. It's not nearly as hard, you know, hard-edged as you might think. The lyrics are really dark. And, and very dark subjects dealing with lots of depression and death and addiction and things like that. So I get that aspect of it. But, uh, you know, and it's not like I'm a fan. I don't sit and listen to a lot of Marilyn Manson. But uh, melodically, some very creative music. Oh. <laughs> hmm, she says. She goes, yeah, I'll take your word for that. I'm just not going to listen. Not my thing. Not my guy. Not my I don't thing. want to support him. Not my cup of yeah. tea. Yeah. Well, I like I said, I have on several occasions gone through and listened to music on different albums of his just out of curiosity. And and each time I've been surprised at melodically how interesting the music is. Um, like I said, if you want to analyze the lyrics, it gets dark real fast. But, uh, you know, and I'm not condoning it one way or the other, but I'm not condemning it either. It's just not my thing. So... On to brighter news. On to Nuclear brighter explosions news. and Holocaust. No, because that would be brighter. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel for her. I really do. Somebody in her life should have. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, somebody should have t- protected her. Right. So, well, congratulations for her to get out of there. Because apparently they met when she was still a teen, a child. So yes. I put that on her parents. But I don't know what a relationship well, with her parents is like. She was, was she eighteen? I thought she was younger than that when they first met. Um, maybe she was. I don't think she was even an adult when they first met. When she like, I thought I thought she moved in with him at seventeen, is what I had read one place. But again, we're reading stuff in in gossip rags, so who knows how accurate it is? That's true. You know, but uh, you know, kudos to her for getting out. And for, you know, talking about it, I mean, I don't know that you need to talk about it publicly, but maybe it's a good warning to anybody else who might be interested in having a relationship with this man. Um, you know, and if there's legal action to be taken, then take it. Yeah, So certainly. I'm glad that she got out. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping she got all the therapy she needs. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, because he sounds like a monster. Yeah. For those who don't know, too, Evan Rachel Wood most recently has gained fame in the Westworld series on HBO, and it is excellent. Westworld is really good storytelling. Um, and she was also in um, Strawberry Fields Forever, the mm-hmm. or whatever yeah. it was called, the, uh, the, the movie, uh, yeah. the, the movie. musical based on Beatles music. Yes, and it was it had mm-hmm. a different name than that, but um, yeah, my older daughter loved that movie. She loved those versions of the Beatles songs sung by people who have you know better pipes than the Beatles do, because um, they're great songs. And they strung it together to kind of tell a story. It was actually, you know, it's well done. But yeah. Uh, yeah, she's done. She's done a variety of things. I think she was on a um, uh, when she was really young as a child. She played a child on a series too. I can't remember which one it was, but. Uh, and she was in the movie Thirteen. I think that's where she started, which was a yeah. A really that's what I was thinking of. Movie. Yeah, yeah. She's always done very kind of edgy stuff, so. Um, yeah, she seems to be kind of an edgy person, but maybe as as an adult, she's figuring out who she is a little bit more and making some choices that are a little healthier for her uh, emotionally. But uh, but very very talented young lady, and uh, so yeah. So um, this Mashable has an article about how to clear out your virtual clutter with this particular Mac cleaning app and um uh it's called Buho cleaner for mac have you heard of it no okay it's a, a mac cleaning app designed specifically for big sur that can keep your computer running smoothly and efficiently from cleaning up your cache to uninstall uninstalling pointless space wasting apps uh you can boost your performance in a single tap now mashable has a lot of native advertising but um, it is, which means it's an article, but it's really an advertising a- advertisement for whatever they're yeah, talking about. Yeah, it's kind of what this looks like. Yeah, but it's still interesting. Um, yeah, at the top they say Mashable may earn affiliate commission on sales of this, so and they've got a link. Yeah. So they, that's kind of their thing. They do a lot of nav- native advertising, yeah. but I think it's yeah. you know I had not heard of this particular app, and as yeah. somebody who just had to go through and clean up my Mac so that I could install uh, Big Sur. Um, you know, having something like this would be handy. Yeah. Um, There are some how-tos out there. A lot of what this is purporting to do for you is actually built into the Mac operating system. Uh, You just have to know how to go and look at how much space things are taking up and and how to then make decisions. But there's just, it's literally, here's the different things, and you can click on this button, and it'll get rid of files of this kind and clean things up and get rid of cache files and things like that. So there's a lot of things that you can do uh, without spending any money. And I, 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 the only reason I say is I'm always a little hesitant. There's been apps like this. I mean, I'm not familiar with this one, but there's been apps like this uh, on the, in the computer world for a long time, both on Windows and on Mac. And um, very often, while they do a reasonable job at doing what they purport to do, they also tend to be um, vectors for security issues. And so um, I'm hesitant oh. to, to, to recommend an app that gets, you know, uh, high level access to everything on your computer that I don't know anything about and don't know anybody who's behind it. So I would be hesitant to put something like this on my computer. Um, if it was a Mac thing, if if you download it from um, from the Mac App Store, 
if they have a version that you can download from the Mac App Store, I'd be more likely to trust it than one that, that you download from somewhere else and install on your Mac. Um, I know there's a company that has a, an app called Daisy Disk that lets you see all of the stuff on your Mac by category in a very interesting little pie chart type of, of format. And then you can delete things by categories that way. But again, a lot of that functionality is built right into the Mac now, too. It's in the operating system. So if you uh, want to do that kind of thing, you can do it via um, uh, the um, uh, what is it? system preferences. And uh, I don't know it off the top of my head. I have to think about it. But there's a, there's a spot where you go to, and, uh, and it tells you how much your disk space is and how it's being used and what... Uh, what all you can do, you know clean up easily to make space for other stuff so anyhow um check our um two minute tech podcast for tips on how to do that and how to set up your mac to uh unlock itself with your apple watch i'm adding that stuff in so awesome well send it to we'll K- send see. it to me and i'll we'll run it on kcaa ah all right so, so the Washington Post has an article that I think is, is kind of fun because Super Bowl Sunday is right around the corner. Um, they have the 2021 Super Bowl food map that's a deep dive into America's weird culinary underbelly. And uh, uh, they say uh, that there's like a, in if the it's belly. time for the Super Bowl. <laughs> yes, exactly. If it's time for the Super Bowl, it also must be time for Google to release its map of each state's most uniquely searched for Super Bowl food. The map oh, cool. with results that should be t- that should be taken with a grain of salt has become an annual source of amusement. So, um, guess what California, the number one Super Bowl food in California is? Nachos. No, but that's what I would have guessed too, right? I would have guessed nachos yeah. or wings. It's actually cheeseburger yeah. sliders. Huh. See, I would have figured that would be more like a back east thing. Yeah, well, you know, like Wisconsin's got to be brats, but, you know. So, so Tobin just wrinkled his nose. <laughs> He's like, what? Yeah. I don't know anybody who eats those. Yeah. Cheeseburger sliders? Really? Really? Yeah. yeah. So, who's, um, who's doing that? <laughs> that must be the Northern Californias, the Northeast. Yeah, the north, yeah, exactly, the northeast. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so okay, so in uh, in Nebraska, the the number one is a labna. And a what? I'm like, what the heck is a labna? Okay, so um, Cornhusker State cuisine tends to skew solidly Midwestern. Think casseroles, seven layer dips, and the like. But send <laughs> think Nebraska cheeseburger to sliders. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Send a Nebraska to a Super Bowl party, and things apparently take a more, more Middle Eastern turn with this strained yogurt dip. Okay, I don't believe this at all. You yeah, could, you could you could give you could have given me ten thousand guesses on Nebraskan Super Bowl googling, and I would not have guessed Labna. Literally, yeah, I I, I, I call bull on this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you but, had me at slider, but that's we we don't eat sliders. We eat nachos and we eat wings. Um, you know, we break out some sort of a dip. My wife has a couple like special, like, like uh, I don't know. I don't want to call them football dips, but they're dips that we break out for you know, like munchy, crunchy, chip type eating. One of them is uh, chicken with the reds, red, uh, the uh, the red hot um, sauce. Oh yeah, the Frank sauce. Yeah, Frank's red hot. That's it. Thanks. And then the other one is one that's like a 
uh, bean and cheese dip thing that she makes that's delicious. But, uh, you know, come on. We don't eat sliders, and they do not eat bladnum. Sounds like exactly. some well, kind of a mucus you cough up. Bladnum. Exactly. Well, I mean, it's not from our culture. It's not our language. So right. they say that in Wyoming, it's chia seed coconut milk dessert bologna. Yeah. I don't believe that for a second. They're just and making this tacos, stuff up. They're they lying are. to Ch- us. Now, chocolate chip cookies in Texas. Although I'm thinking yeah. Texas, Super Bowl. I'm thinking ribs. I'm thinking brisket. Ribs. I'm thinking, you know, barbecue. Bowl of chili would be more likely. I'd be more believable than chocolate chip cookies. Not that so, they won't yeah. have chocolate chip cookies there, but that's not what they're, they're not going to have that as their meal. I mean. So, you know. um, the, what, guess what it is in Wisconsin? Chunk of cheese. Bratwurst. Uh, it's actually, it's actually uh, buffalo chicken dip. And that uh, one I can okay. kind of believe. Yeah. I, Although I would say Buffalo, New York. But, okay. <laughs> yeah, kind of crazy, right? Yeah, so some Alaska, of this stuff is like apparently it's way beef out stew. There. In Oklahoma, Indiana, and Virginia, it's charcuterie. No, I don't believe that. Charcuterie. Washington, it's alleg- yeah. It's allegedly In Oklahoma, Oklahoma, they have a, a... Here, let's have our plate of charcuterie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Yeah, I call <laughs> BS Washington Post. Yeah. Come on. At least make it pseudo-believable. Right? Charcuterie. Does it say what North Carolina's is? Well, unfortunately, the map is cut off. Ah. Uh, so no, it doesn't. Mississippi, you know, they have uh, they have catfish. No. According to this, they have birria tacos. Huh? What's and, a birria and in, in taco? In Louisiana, they say seven-layer dip. I don't believe it. Well, the seven-layer dip, I don't know about Louisiana, but that's the common, like, you know, bunch of people over football game type of thing. You know, it's just another dip, but, uh, and can be delicious. I've had a couple uh, seven-layer dips that you've made that were delicious. Um, Yeah, I don't know. This all seems a little suspect to me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and and Lifehacker is so funny. They, they, uh, they have an article that says, don't believe that Google Trends map. <laughs> yeah. So they have, the, they have the map with a big nope written across it. Across yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm with them. <laughs> yeah. And, and as far as, like, some of these other things, I think, you know, are, people are searching for it, not because they want to make it, but they might be, it might be because, you know, what the heck is this? Yeah. You know? Like, well, you know, I think there's uh, a lot of, hey, let's have a laugh and look at this <laughs> So it's written from a comedy perspective. You got if you if you're going with that, then maybe I can buy some of this stuff. But yeah, hmm. really, yogurt, hmm. a yogurt dip, hmm. cucumber yogurt, <laughs> right? Sounds Greek. That's where I've had like a yogurt cucumber dip is with Greek stuff. Yeah, it's, it's totally, where you dip it's your totally fried zucchini. It's totally Mediterranean. Yeah. And there's a huge, huge Mediterranean football fan contingent in Nebraska, apparently, huh? Uh, yeah, I know. I mean, if, <laughs> honestly, if it said if it said Michigan, I would believe it. I would because there's, you know, there's a huge um, Middle Eastern and Mediterranean population, like North mm-hmm. African population in uh, in 
uh, the Detroit area. You know, they call yeah. it uh, Dearbornistan for a reason. Um, but <laughs> I'd never heard that. But, but... He, yes, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't believe that in Nebraska. I don't know that they have that yeah. same that same demographic yeah. makeup. It sounds to me like whoever did this, you know, like traveled to this state and happened to order, you know, a Greek meal and went, yeah, this is what they eat at football games. This would be great at football games. So they must get that well, from here, right? It's allegedly <laughs> from Google searches. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. So maybe I shouldn't be so wound up about Google and Facebook tracking everything we know. If this is the quality data they're getting. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, okay, Seriously. they don't know anything. They think they know stuff. They know nothing. <laughs> you know nothing. All right. So we are completely out of time. And my cat we now are crawling on me again. Yeah, we before your cats attack, them. we better wrap it up so you can feed them kitties. So <laughs> hug a kitty for me, and we will I see will. everybody on Wednesday. Home day is tomorrow. <laughs> and get that winter coat out for your six more weeks of winter, guys. I'm Todd Brinker. I'm Aaron Brinker. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.